Welcome to the premiere episode of Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. My name is Dr. Saul Rosenthal. I'm a health psychologist in the Boston area, and I'll serve as your host as we investigate the endlessly fascinating, beautifully complex connection between the healthy brain and the happy body. We started this podcast because there's so much to understand and share about mind-body health. You probably already know that. You're interested in the connections between mind and body, but you also might be wondering, what makes this podcast different from all the other health podcasts out there already? First, as biofeedback and neurofeedback practitioners, we have a unique perspective on the integration of mind and body. Biofeedback is an evidence-based practice for strengthening the health of our whole selves. Second, we want to push beyond the usual conversations about mind-body health. In addition to the well-known experts in applied psychophysiology, like today's guest, Dr. Eric Pepper, on this podcast, we will explore a broad range of issues, tapping into the knowledge base of experts across many fields and with diverse backgrounds. This podcast is premiering in the autumn of 2022. Here at the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society, we are preparing for our annual conference, which will be held virtually on October 21st and 22nd. This year, we are focusing on stress, anxiety, and burnout. To preview our conference, I've talked with a number of our presenters, who you'll be hearing from in the next few episodes. Today, our guide between healthy brain and happy body is Dr. Eric Pepper. Eric is an international authority on biofeedback and self-regulation and professor of holistic health studies at San Francisco State University. He is president of the Biofeedback Federation of Europe and past president of the Association for Applied Biofeedback and Psychophysiology. He's an author of numerous articles and books, including the recently co-authored Tech Stress, How Technology is Hijacking Our Lives, Strategies for Coping, and Pragmatic Ergonomics. If that wasn't enough, he also publishes a blog on illness, health, and well-being at pepperperspective.com, and he has a biofeedback practice at biofeedbackhealth.org. Anyone who has had the privilege of attending an Eric Pepper talk or workshop knows that he is a master at getting everybody, even his audiences, up and moving. I talked with him about taking biofeedback and self-regulation skills out of our offices and into the world, starting with his own students. I'm continually impressed with my students who practice skills during the semester to be able to reduce symptoms and just feel better. And it's really a model we have created so that all students ideally, or a model that should be applied to all universities or even high school, so students develop mastery over their own health. Because we live in a world right now, especially at the post-pandemic, where there's such an increase at least in self-report of anxiety, depression. And I see so many students being lost in a way, going to the mm -hmm. side. What is so impressive this semester, even though we had a number of students still fall off, is that the ones who did these practices, which included changing posture, it included especially learning diaphragmatic breathing and a way to really shift their internal language. We saw a 70% reduction in self-report of anxiety. And moreover, for the women in the class, though 
you know, those who then practice diaphragmatic breathing, a number of them reported that their dysmenorrhea significantly decreased the discomfort, which makes sense. So the class really focuses on these voluntary controls. Hmm. Well, this model you're talking about of bringing wellness uh, into, you know, the places where we're living our lives, that obviously it makes a lot of sense. But why is it better than the, you know, quote, traditional approach of working with clients in our offices or in our clinics? I think the advantage of universities is that people are captured earlier before many of the symptoms, I would say, have become so habitual and part of their lifestyle. Second, it is an educational model, so they don't have to label themselves as being a patient. They are students. They are empowered. So now they are learning new skills and new options. Third, they are meeting in a group and they really realize when they go around and share in small groups, oh, I'm equally stressed. I'm not so abnormal. And on the opposite side, what they experience is that in a group, there's always someone for whom these practices really make a significant improvement. All of a sudden, gosh, my GI distress disappeared. I didn't have headaches anymore after two weeks of practice, but it's really a system approach. And so they, they get both the the kind of uh, a holistic background that includes diet, movement, an evolutionary perspective. And the key is self-mastery. And here, I think that's what almost all people who do CBT or behavioral therapy and biofeedback focus on, how to do this as homework practice. What makes school so useful is that by definition, you're supposed to do homework. I hate to say it. And so part of this self-practice, which is almost half the class, in the end, they have to do reflexive work as well, is they need to practice daily. Obviously, they don't all do that. However, they practice daily and the success seems to be highly related. Those who can integrate that into their daily life. So it isn't just doing it for 15 minutes or 10 minutes. It is, oh, I caught myself being aware of being stressed. I gasped. I felt more collapsed. At that moment, I shift. I change posture. I sit more up, breathe, I change my language, and that act by itself gives them distance. And it's not seen as pathology, it's just seen as a, a process of growth. So, so these practices like, like posture or breathing uh, or, or temperature, skin conductance, these are all physical uh, systems or changes in physical symptoms. Uh, systems. How, how does that help people with psychological issues of stress? The real key is there's no separation, mind, body. So what you, for example, observe, what the students observe, it's sometimes easier initially to observe your gasping or to observe your slouching, for example. But then you can ask what's going on. Oh, I had this hopeless thought. I had this reaction to this stressor. And remember the class starts in fact, by purely self-awareness, which for one week you keep a log in which you monitor re your reactions to stress. That can be repetitive thoughts, it can be rumination, it can be getting upset, it can be many different things. So, so stress, is, it's not a, even though you're, you're often focusing on the physical changes, stress is more than physical. Stress is physical, it's psychological, it's behavioral, it's the whole kit and caboodle. Yes, we are a system. I, the moment, I mean, here, this goes right back to the work by Elmer Green. Every emotion, every thought has a body correspondence and every body correspondence or every body has an emotional uh, or em, uh, cognitive effect. I think what makes it easier to focus on body is that it's easier to observe. And if you change it, 
you feel you have an easier sense of control. If you're breathing really quickly in your chest, you breathe too slow or breathing, or you shift your attention, imagining air flowing down your legs or something like that. For that moment that interrupts your rumination, it gets you quieter and it almost makes it easier than to deal with the stressor. I do think psychology has made a big error on my part by only looking above the neck. I know that the, the physician looks beneath the neck, the psychiatrist looks above the neck and the clergy looks at anything that floats around, I realize that, but they're always interconnected. And so I think the wind, it is not that one is better than the other. I do find that on a purely pragmatic scale, especially with a number of males, or depending on one's cultural background, that it, ha it has less blaming if you can frame their response in terms of a natural reaction within the evolutionary perspective. I'm just reacting for survival. There's a saber-toothed tiger. Now it happens to be my supervisor or my deadline, and my body reacts if I can change my reaction, then I get a kind of window back. It gives me the time out. Nothing more than your mother would have said, you know, hey, take three, three, take three deep breaths before you speak. Or don't send your email to the next day. <laughs> That's advice we all should be following. Um, well, I never do. <laughs> right, I never do. But, well, that, but actually, that, that really illustrates a, a point that, that uh, is kind of a coming up for me as you're talking, which is we've got these big brains, the outer part of the brain, the newer newer parts, which is all about the thoughts. Um, you know, is that a saber-toothed tiger or is it my boss? We can differentiate. But that what, what I think you're saying is that that older brain overwhelms our thinking, and that may be one reason to start with the, the physical. That I think that's a very good way of doing it, of saying it. The other part is that I think most, most of us are unaware at least from my perspective, how much our posture or body pattern does either by via classical conditioning, trigger memories or thoughts. And therefore by putting, changing your posture, which is all at the time out, you have different accesses of thought, thought. And that is some of the research we have demonstrated very eloquently. And so I'm persuaded that a somatic approach can often be helpful maybe even more for males. I shouldn't say that because it's just like biofeedback is so useful because it makes demonstratively what the, what the invisible becomes visible. So you've been talking about how you're using this program with, with your students. Uh, and I know you do a lot of uh, programs and interventions in, in, in the place of, places of work. Could you talk a little bit about, about bringing this sort of approach into uh, somebody's place of work? I think in the terms of how can you use this in during stress at work? At work, there are multiple factors. Remember, the biggest risk factor at work is probably the relationship between you and your co-workers or supervisors. If you like, if you have a social support that is supportive, you have much lower incidence of injury. I mean, if you go to a corporation, the first thing you look at is the log of all the workers' complaints. You find that which department this, you can almost promise beforehand there is, there's interpersonal conflict, whatever that may mean. And now in the, in the great resignation, that in the IT companies, you talk to the people, why do they resign? Why do they shift? They don't, they have conflicts with their supervisors more than anything else. If they like their coworkers, 
online or in person, if they feel real support with their, from their supervisor, they're much less likely to resign and go. So that is a critical issue. That's part one. Part two is since everybody works in front of computers, the ergonomics is critical. And most of us at home have lousy ergonomics, uh, even at the worksite somewhat better. But then even if the best ergonomics, it doesn't mean that you will use yourself correctly. And so that's the other part. I can still work like this, looking at the screen or whatever. So that's where the biofeedback component is really useful. And in work sites, I think you can teach people some skills by which they can interrupt that habitual tension pattern and teach them some pragmatic skills. And there are some tools we can, one can use, simple interrupt programs that reminds the person to stretch, let's all do it, right? <laughs> and I just did it to help myself. And yet most of us don't do it. Right. However, if you can have social support and the organization supports it, your supervisor supports that, then it's more likely that it occurs. And then it, finally, mm -hmm. during emotional conflict, how can we be better listeners? How can we not just jump right away to answer the question, which I tend to still do? How can I even try to understand where is the person coming from? And if we can have that openness of communication, we all do better. So some of some of the factors you're talking about are uh, environmental and interpersonal. And uh, I, I was thinking as you were talking about that, about uh, you know, the sort of increasing focus on burnout and how we, you know, we as psychologists uh, and as, as psychotherapists will focus, we tend to focus on the individual. So using this program, for example, to help interrupt uh, stress, uh, stress behaviors and things like that. But you're also talking about the importance of the environment. Uh, and I guess I'm curious about how we might be able to have an impact on the, the interpersonal or the psychosocial environment, which probably drives a lot of this uh, burnout and, and similar uh, ill health. I would say if people can meet in groups, in some sense to do the skill and they can co-share their experience. You give them a positive skill, but they share their portfolio, some positive experience that they feel better that helps. I often recommend for people, which I do with my students every week, we go on a hike. And it's interesting because when you do movements, you have a kind of common pattern and goal. You can then discuss the issues. You don't quite have to look at the person face to face. And yet you have another kind of communication and friendships. What I realize is in many groups, if you work singularly, if you can have another kind of other experience or friendships, then instead of jumping out of mind to that negative perspective and a person says something, you give them more openness. And communication occurs when you're more open. Um, the final part, I think, is in people's lives. We do live much more in a 24-7 world. There's never time out. And I would say it's critical for all our health, including my own, is to just have the brain take time out instead of continually getting input in. You need somehow time with unstructured reorganizational part of of, of thinking, of daydreaming and stuff like that. And being in nature, I would say for many people, is a great way of doing it. Or even just going dancing with friends. It may, you know, each of us have different modes and our culture has done less of that and less of that. 
So now instead of spacing out and daydreaming positively, let's say, or doing stuff, I watch another streaming series at home. And this is circular because when I get tired, then it's much easier to eat, I would say, higher carbohydrates, generally poorer food qualities, and to just sponge and, and uh, sit and do nothing. Versus if I'm tired, if I can have colleagues who will pull me at those moments of a lower dip and say, ah, let's go for a walk, let's go swimming, let's go, I don't care what it is almost, maybe not just drinking alcohol. <laughs> then, but when I do movement, most people after a little while, if you do movement for 20 minutes, especially when it has a positive framing, it's shocking how much our energy goes, gets better. And as I've just talked here for 15 minutes or so, just sell, just get up. Both of you just get up and just for a moment, just move, you know, you just jump, you know, I don't care. I notice how hard it is for you to get up at this moment, you know. And I was just, just going you know, to, I was just going to give a, a warning to whoever's listening to this. This is Eric's uh, modus operandi. <laughs> best at getting, uh, his listeners and audiences to actually get up and do things. Um, unfortunately, I'm tethered, so I might <laughs> I be a bit of a problem. So that's, my, that's my absolutely, and I and, and I have to say, uh, from being a, uh, familiar with your work for so many years, I do these things in between clients or in between meetings or during meetings frequently, just trying to move a little bit, checking my posture out, and it it makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah, they're all small differences. I think mm -hmm. none of these are very big. But what I saw with my students this semester, I was really in awe of one of the student, the student uh, just recently, whose paper I just read, who had severe back pain. She's had fusions and in fact, some implants put in their lower back mm -hmm. and her pain rating was on the average in eight. She's had much treatment, but she has, then she applied these techniques. You know, just because it purely non-medical treatment there's not treatment or educational part that's the relaxation technique the lower breathing the exhaling during movements changing self-healing imagery using the cue of pain to now evoke a healing process so transforming her thoughts after four weeks her pain is a one and she's of all her her opioid medications which is you know when you look at that you say wait a minute that shouldn't have happened and this happens not to everybody, but that is, I think, the potential we have. We have much more potential of healing than we think. But it's not magic. It is not that you do it. I do it for 15 minutes, a half an hour. And it's no different than psychotherapy, as you well know. When a patient comes, they can have great insight. But if they go right back and do the same things again, it's unlikely they have much improvement. So is there any one thing you want all of us to take from what you're what you're telling us today the one part is that we are holistic we are a system some people the best thing they can do oh i'll end with an example on that question i had a student who was exhausted during the day you know it's like you know had no energy slightly depressed and from a holistic perspective we asked her back well, sometimes she goes to bed at four o'clock in the morning, wakes up at eight. Sometimes she goes to bed at 11 o'clock and wakes, doesn't eat breakfast. You know, all we base her project was simply doing what I'll call grandmother therapy. Going to bed at the same time. I don't care, it's a student, one o'clock, wake up at nine, whatever works for her. She did that. 
she comes back the following week like she was totally shocked. And to me, that is what we all need in different versions. We need to look at the context of the person and then find the, the tool that works best for that specific person. And for some, it's just having breakfast. 30% of my students do not eat any breakfast or they eat lots of sugar. That's the other 20%. So there's no easy answer, Saul, sorry. Well, if there was, there'd only be one book on my bookshelf and I probably would be out of a job. So. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Saul, thank you so much for inviting me. I think I'm so, you know, it was such a pleasure to be here with you. And I look forward to seeing you at the meeting. Absolutely. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org and find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guide today to the healthy brain and happy body was Dr. Eric Pepper, professor at San Francisco State University and an expert on bringing health practices into the world. You can learn more about Eric and about the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society in the show notes. Remember, you can also join us at our annual conference on October 21st and 22nd by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at nrbs.org for a 25% discount. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body.